Welcome to the Joseph Barlow Ministries podcast. Here, you'll learn from a real-life dad about raising a family, developing a healthy marriage, and teaching your children to find their purpose. Here he is, Joe Barlow. Today I want to talk about something that, I don't know, this this particular podcast might be one to just bookmark and uh, make sure you have it as a resource. It may not be the most entertaining thing, but it's probably something you're going to need because today I want to talk about facing death. And I know that as uh, in families, this is a pretty big deal. So since I'm teaching on family, uh, we need to deal with this topic at some point. So um, I'm preaching at a funeral tomorrow. So uh, all of these items are fresh in my mind. And so I figured it would be good for you to be the beneficiary of of these things. Anyway, Father, I ask you to speak through me today and uh, help these things to be clear and understandable, but also very, very beneficial to everyone who's listening. Uh, friends, thanks for thank you for joining us today. Okay, so let me get right into my notes here. Okay, so talking about in, within family ministry, talking about facing death. Now, obviously. Um, you know, as they say, uh, nobody gets out alive. Nobody gets out of this life alive. Uh, unless you're, um, uh, who was it, uh, in the Old Testament, Enoch uh, and Elijah, they got out, uh, they got captured, you know, taken away by God. So anyway, but let me just say right off the bat, I believe in healing. Okay, I believe, and I've got a lot of teachings on healing. And so I also believe in health, that uh, we have a responsibility to take care of our bodies and to, and to do our best to live a long life. Because as the scripture says, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so we have a responsibility to live a long life. Like Paul said, he said, it's better for me that I go away. In other words, that he would die and go to heaven. He said, but it's better for you that I stay and continue my work. And so I I think that we have a responsibility to live as long as we possibly can, uh, especially if our lives have real meaning and purpose, which if you hang around me, you'll find that I do believe everybody has very deep meaning and purpose for their life. So I want to say also that I believe in long life. I believe that, um, you know, the scripture says in Psalms 91, Uh, It says, with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. So let let me get right into several scriptures that I pulled in preparation for this. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent 
and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, uh, I love this passage. You know, it just says, listen, everything... Everything under the sun has a space on the clock somewhere. There's a, a time slot for it. And the, uh, you know, there's another passage in the Old Testament. It said, it talked about the sons of Issachar, that they were different because they knew the times and the seasons. They knew, they understood what was going on in the present time, in the present season of life. And so knowing what is the time that you're living in right now is it a time to continue to stand and believe for healing is it a time to continue to to move forward and uh, plan long term or is it a time to say hey it, i better get my house in order right um so knowing the times and the seasons and knowing that to everything there's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. <clears throat> a time to be born and a time to die. So knowing the times and seasons is really important. Um, the scripture says that uh, a man's days will be 120 years. Um, and Psalm 90 verse 10 says that our days are 70 or 80 years. Well, let me read Psalm 90 for you, okay? It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. Now don't forget, Moses wrote this psalm, and uh, this psalm was written under the law, under the Old Testament law. You and I as New Testament believers do not exist under the law. But let's continue. It says, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. We have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All of our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. That's where that song comes from. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. So it says right there in Psalms 90 verse 10, we fly away. Now it also says there in verse 10, our days may come to 70 years or 80. Now remember that this whole psalm is under a duress. It's under the law. It's under the wrath of God. It's not under the New Testament, right? So let me just continue. Verse 11, it says, If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is, you, that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Well, we would say, Lord, 
we want to dwell as your sons and daughters, right? And uh, yes, we are God's servants, but we, he welcomes us as his children. Psalm 90 verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Well, that's a great promise right there. Psalm 90 verse 14, it's a great uh, example or a, or a prayer to pray. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Now, the last verse of this psalm is one of my favorite verses because I use it a lot when people are unemployed or having difficult times, and um, especially with finding God's purpose for their life. But Psalm 90, verse 17 says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish, Lord, the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So you've got to remember, though, that the context of Psalm 90 is really disobedience to the law, not blessing. It was written by Moses in the wilderness. It was not written in the promised land. Okay? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. It says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for they are mortal, and their days will be a hundred and twenty years. So Genesis 6 verse 3 is where God puts a limit on the length of life of mankind. Now, if you look at this, um, it's quite interesting because before this time there were people that were living 600, 700, 8, 9, 900 years. Methuselah like 960 something years. I mean he lived a good long time. But after God spoke that man's years shall be 120. Okay. However, you got to remember this. This was in Genesis chapter 6 verse 3. God said this that he was going to basically limit man's years to 120. But the problem with that, scripturally, is that years later, Abraham lived to 175. And so that 120 could possibly have been, I'm going to limit you to just 120 years, kind of be the baseline. You know, let's go to 120 years, and then however long you want to live after that is fine. But that's not what we see happening in our day. Let me read this. And after God said, so after God said the days of man shall be 120 years, Abraham lived to be 175. Genesis chapter 25, verse 7 says, Abraham lived 175 years. And that, my friends, was a long time after God said in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, that man's years would be 120. So did he give Abraham a special grace to live 120 years, 175, to to beat the system by 55 years? Uh, Or what? I don't know. The scripture doesn't really say as far as I know. Okay? Let's keep going. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1 it says for we know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed we have a building from God an eternal house in heaven 
okay? Not built by human hands. So this is changing our perspective here from living in this earthly body. It says this earthly tent because um, if you know, tents are temporary, right? And, um, and also that it says that uh, in uh, second, or it's at first Corinthians where it says my, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It could also be the tabernacle or the tent or the dwelling place of God or of the Holy Spirit. So our body is like a tent. It's a temp- temporary dwelling. So Second Corinthians 5.1 For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building. That building is different. It's different than a tent. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So if you think about that, in John chapter 14, verse 1, where it talks about, uh, you know, he says, I've gone, or maybe verse 2, it says, I've gone to prepare a place for you that you may come and dwell and with me and be where I am, right? And uh, in my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms, depending on the translation you're reading. So we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. So, friends, thinking about our life on this earth, it is just a small sliver of eternity. If you think that, um, you know, like in the song, Amazing Grace, it says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Now, I love that because after you've spent 10,000 years up in heaven, you have no less days in heaven. It's not like you spent a portion that's going to be depleted. You have forever. You have eternity. So this life on this planet is only a very small sliver. I would say it's an extremely important sliver of time, but it is just that, a sliver of time. So, uh, so let me just say this. I want to jump right to something. Um, it says in Hebrews 9, verse 27, it says, Just as men are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Uh, it is, it's, the scripture says in Hebrews 9, 27, we are destined to die. Okay? Um, now, take your faith where you want to go. If you say, hey, I'm, I'm going to keep living, go for it. You just keep on going. And uh, because other people received stuff that was outside of their dispensation. The Syrophoenician woman, uh, Jesus referred to her as a dog because the time for the Gentiles was not yet. The time for the Gentiles didn't come till Acts chapter 10. Although it was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 49, Uh, God said about Jesus, he said, it's too small of a thing for you just to reach the lost children of Israel. He said, I will make you a light to the Gentiles. But that didn't happen during Jesus's lifetime. Jesus's lifetime was spent ministering to the Jews and working salvation for the Jews. However, uh, you know, like God said in Isaiah 49, it's too small of a thing for you just to save the Jews. I'm going to have you be a 
a light to the Gentiles as well. So in Acts chapter 10, when Peter went to Cornelius's house, that's when the, gen- the door was opened up for the Gentiles to come in. That's the first event where the Gentiles started. But the Syrophoenician woman in Jesus's lifetime, he referred to her as a dog because um, he said, it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. In other words, Jesus's time, his ministry was to the Jews. It was not to the Gentiles. His future ministry through the apostles was going to be to the Gentiles. But it wasn't at that time. So Jesus knew the times and the seasons. And you and I have a responsibility to know the times and seasons that we live in. So, but if you have it in your heart to jump beyond the season that you live in, you're welcome to do so because there's others who did it. Enoch did things outside of the realm which he lived in. And a realm of time, I should say, that he lived in. The Syrophoenician woman got her daughter healed, which wasn't supposed to happen until after Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles were allowed to begin to partake. However, because of this woman's faith, she was able to jump over the wall of the dispensation that she lived in. And uh, Jesus said to her, go, your faith has healed you. Or has, you know, it will be done as you if you have have requested or whatever. Um, so here in Hebrews nine twenty seven, it says, "Just as people are destined to die once, and after that face judgment, if you say, hey, 'Hey, I'm going to live forever,' you know what? I say, go for it. Go ahead and believe God. Just believe God to keep on living. Okay. Um, but I will say this also that there are some people who don't accept it." And they have run into trouble. I have uh, two two friends of mine did this. They continued to stand in faith, or what they thought was faith, believing God. Um, you know, obviously the proof of faith is whether or not it worked. <laughs> did it happen the way you believed? And the, you, that then you find out: Did you really believe? Was your faith really strong enough? Um, so, was was their faith strong enough to get them healed? Well, in both of their situations, I would say the answer was no. Uh, yet they were believing to continue to live. One guy, uh, there was a prophecy. He and his wife received a prophecy that they would still be here when Jesus returned. And so he did not make any plans for his own demise. He did not make any plans for his estate, for any of the things that he owned, and for his wife and his family, um, that created a, an enormous, unnecessary burden. Now, it says in Ezekiel, I'm sorry, it says in Isaiah chapter 38, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Okay? Now, as you probably know the story, or you may know the story, but Hezekiah turned to the wall and he called out to the Lord and said, Hey, this ain't fair. I'm, I'm doing your work, man. You need to let me live longer. And so when this prophet was walking out of the house, he got halfway across the front yard and the Lord said, Go back and tell him I'll give you 15 more years. Okay? 
So um, God listened to the prayer of this man who, who wanted to change his status and wanted to live longer. And so God granted that request. But the, the verse still does say, in those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Well, I would tell you, my friends, we have a responsibility to have our house in order. We have a responsibility that if our faith is not working to the point to keep us alive, we have to have done the things to put our house in order to make sure that we are going to um, leave our home in a way that our family will be blessed. Now, this one particular brother owned a lot of things, and so ultimately it was a blessing that he had you know, provided so much, yet he had made no plans for himself to be gone. And uh, he thought that was faith. Um, I would advise him, I would have advised him otherwise. I did not have that opportunity, okay? Um, so I would say, make sure that your house is order, in order. Uh, you know, in case you were to be gone, make sure you got insurance. Make sure you've got you know, insurance for your family. Make sure that you've got um, uh, provision for your family. Make sure that things are in order as best as you can. But go ahead and continue to believe. Go ahead and petition God, you know, for a longer life. If you're being productive and if you're being a blessing, go ahead and live longer. Uh, you have that freedom to do so. Biblically, you have the freedom to do so. Okay? So two of my friends, uh, both of them, really had not made preparation for their departure. And their wives and families paid a high price for their lack of preparation, which they may have deemed was faith, but I think was uh, probably uh, foolishness. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I think your house should be in order. Okay? Let's go on to another topic, and let's go to um, the assurance of heaven. When someone dies, uh, let's talk about their assurance of heaven. Now, when I got born again at 11 years old, I was still in the Catholic Church, and so, as such, I didn't know whether or not I was going to get to go to heaven or not. But all I knew is I had made a commitment to the Lord that I was going to I was going to serve him the rest of my life. It was a decision, a rock-solid decision that I made that I still have not recanted and have no plans of ever recanting, okay? Um, but I didn't know until, and I got baptized with the Holy Spirit when I was 13, speaking in tongues and flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. But I did not know until I was 19 years old when I really started to hear the word preached and taught with authority and revelation, that's when I finally found out that I actually get to go to heaven too. I mean, here I had this great relationship with the Lord where I was hearing his voice regularly. I was transcribing the words of my master. I was writing down the things that he would say. I was journaling and talking back and forth to him and having a great, a very powerful two-way conversation. But having not really studied the scriptures in the in, in the depth that my my new pastor was at that age, at age 19 and a half, I started going to a church where 
I, I mean, the teaching was so good. I could hardly sit still. It was so, so powerful. I was so very thankful. But during that, that was when I actually found out that biblically speaking, I actually was going to receive the reward of heaven. Before that, I was always unsure, you know, uh, because, you know, in the Catholic Church, if I were to make a certain number of First Friday Masses, you know, the first Friday of the month, if I was able to make a certain number of First Fridays, then I would get to go to heaven. Or if you died wearing your scapular, which was a little uh, kind of thing you wore around your neck, if you died wearing that, you would get to go to heaven. Um, and there was all different kinds of, I don't know, I would say strange teachings, strange doctrines. And so I didn't know what was truth. But when I started hearing the Word of God taught with authority, it replaced those, um, I would say, man-made doctrines uh, that were not biblical. And uh, so the, the truth of the Scriptures changed my mind. And so I became personally convinced that I was actually going to get to go to heaven. And I, and I live that way now. Um, so now I'm 59, so it's been 40 years since I started hearing that word. And uh, it has changed the way that I live life because I do not live with a constant fear of death. Okay, and that's really, huh, my goodness, you talk about changing your perspective and making things different. Living without a fear of death I would recommend it to anyone. It's a powerful and a positive thing. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, I wanted to go to the Father. I, I got born again at age 11, not because I had any revelation that I was a sinner. I gave, I gave my life to God, and I, I chose God because I loved him. You know, and I wanted to be with him. I wanted to serve him. So that's what got me really completely and thir thoroughly committed in believing in Jesus Christ. Um, and I chose Jesus, right? I, Jesus said here in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, there's many people that think, well... You know, there's many ways to get to heaven. Uh, you know, if the Bible is true, and if Jesus is true, if Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is the Savior of the world, which I believe that he is, if he is, then he is the only way. Because if he's not the only way, then Jesus, who said this right here, where he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then it can't be that there's another way to get to heaven because Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So the truth of the matter is, Jesus was either telling the truth or he was lying. Now, you can't say, well, uh, you know, Jesus was a good man and I accept him as a, I accept his philosophy. Well, why would you accept the philosophies of a liar? Because Jesus either is the son of God or he is a liar. 
okay? And scripturally, you can't go any other way with this. Now, if you say, well, Jesus was a good philosopher, well, why would you listen to a philosopher who lies and leads people astray? You don't want to do that. You want uh, Jesus is the only way. So when people say, oh, you can get to heaven through Buddha, you can get to heaven through Islam, you can get to heaven through this and that, um, I don't believe that. Because I believe this verse right here in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And he did say, no one comes to the Father except through me. So uh, you cannot be saved through a quote-unquote religion. And when I talk about religion, I'm referring to a man-made set of rules and doctrines that, uh, you know, man coming up with a way to get to God, forget that stuff. God sent his son Jesus to save us, and Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, since I believe in Jesus, then I have an assurance in my heart that I'm going to come to the Father. When I die, I'm going to come to the Father. Well, here's another way of looking at it. When you die, you will go where your Lord is. So, if, if, if you've never established Jesus Christ as your Lord, then you have another Lord other than Jesus. It may be self, and ultimately then, since you were kidnapped effectively through original sin, uh, you, you're going to have to go where your Lord is, who then would be the devil. And so you're going to have to um, either, you're going to have to choose. Jesus said um, in John chapter 3, verse 5, he, he said, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, He who has the Son, that is Jesus Christ, has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, I've come to the place, my friends, where I know that I have eternal life. And because of it, I am at peace and I am not afraid. I'm not afraid of dying. I am, uh, and I'm not, not afraid of living a very long life either because I know that he's with me wherever I go. Um, John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Once again, I'm going to read that again. John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Um, Jude, verse, Jude verse 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, that is God, Jesus, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, 
blameless and with great joy. That that is so. Here, God is able. Jesus is able to make you stand in God's presence, blameless and with great joy. Now, see, I'm looking forward to that. Romans chapter eight, verse sixteen says, "The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God." Now, many people wonder, "Am I really saved? Have you know? Has God accepted me as a son or a child or a daughter?" You know, well, the Bible says here in Romans 8, 16, that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, if you are born again, God himself by his spirit will give you an assurance internally. So I've never, I mean, many people have wondered, am I saved? Well, if you're not saved, give your life to Jesus Christ. Um, I recommend... uh, I recommend Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Well, my friends, you can answer that question. Do you believe that? Romans 10, 9. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, which I do. I really do believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And if you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. Okay, well, saved from what? Saved from hell. Saved from eternal damnation, right? So if I'm saved, I get to go to heaven. So if I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, which I really and truly do, I really truly believe that. And friends, if you really do truly believe that, then let's go on to step number two. It says, if you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, then you shall be saved. Now, why does he make it so easy? Because he wants everybody to be able to get in. But let me tell you something that you may not have thought of. When you say, Jesus is Lord, when you say that, in the spirit realm, I will tell you that that is a legal transaction. That changes the lordship of your life to you are no longer the lord of your own life satan is no longer the lord of your life nobody else is the lord of your life but when you say jesus is lord see you have the authority to make that decision who is the lord of your life you have the authority to do that you have the ability to make that decision And you are the only one who gets to say who your Lord is. You are the only one that has the legal authority to change the Lordship of your life. When I buy a house and I sign those papers and I, and I, uh, you know, I sign my name on mortgage, I have the legal authority to sign that document. And if I were to sign you know, power of attorney over to somebody else, they could do that, but I haven't. And in the spirit realm, the authority has not been delegated from you to anyone else, which is why water baptism at infancy, uh, all you're doing is getting wet. Uh, that, that doesn't work. You have to make your own decision. You are the only one who can decide. Your parents can't decide that you're a Christian. They could raise you as a Christian. They could teach you Christian morals and principles. They can teach you the scriptures and the word of God. But they do not have the authority. 
they don't have the spiritual authority to establish who your Lord is. You are the only one that has the authority to change lords. And when you say, as it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. See, if you, because you have the authority to say that you are the one that has the, del, the, the, the authority to change or to delegate the authority and the lordship of your life over to Jesus Christ, no one else has the authority to do that. So friends, if you've never had the assurance in your heart, I'm telling you, if you pray and say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. I'm telling you, you can have assurance in your heart that you are saved and you are going to heaven, okay? And so driving that doubt out of your heart is going to help you to have that solid assurance because, again, Romans 8, 16 says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, okay? Um, Hebrews 7, verse 25, Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save forever those who draw near to him near to god through him since he always lives to make intercession for him for them now that verse right there jesus is like it says he always lives to make intercession for them some people believe that jesus is actually up in heaven praying for us um based on this scripture now to make intercession jesus laid his life down and his blood is on the mercy seat and his blood is constantly speaking of the redemption that he has purchased for us in that way jesus is making intercession for us he always lives to make intercession for us so i personally don't believe that jesus christ is up in heaven praying for us okay i believe that his blood is on that mercy seat and that blood speaks of our atonement and it has made intercession and even continually makes intercession for us in other words stepping in between and uh, shielding us or protecting us from damnation okay so uh, that's a whole that's probably a whole other teaching but I don't believe Jesus is up in heaven praying for us I believe that his blood is on the mercy seat and that is the intercession that is made for us. All right. Uh, that probably is throwing a lot of people right there uh, because you were taught so often that Jesus is praying for you. Based on this scripture, there is not another single scripture in the Bible that would lead anybody to believe such a thing. Okay? And it's just a misinterpretation of what that word intercession means. Uh, some people think intercession, because intercession is, you know, in a sense, praying for someone. Uh, praying for their salvation. Well, Jesus did the work and he brought his blood to finish the work. So the work is done. And that's why the Bible says that he sat down because intercession is a process of work and Jesus is sitting down, but his blood constantly speaks from the mercy seat. Okay, enough of that. Um, John chapter 10, verse 29 my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. So, my friends, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, your life is put into the Father's hand, into his hands. And no one can snatch 
you out of the Heavenly Father's hands. No one can, okay? Now, there is the possibility of you giving up your salvation, but I don't recommend you do that. Uh, And that's talked about in Hebrews chapter 6. If somebody uh, has tasted of the goodness of God, and it gives, gives a list of things that you must have partaken of, even the powers of the coming age, which would mean all of the abilities that Jesus walked in, and you're walking in the same level of blessing and authority. If you then choose to walk away from Jesus Christ and no longer accept his salvation, again, you have the authority to do that. You have the authority to change lords. I don't recommend you do it, but there have been those who have done it. They have become so deceived in their thinking that they decided, no, I don't want Jesus. I'm going to change the lordship of my life and take it away from Jesus. Now, I don't recommend you do that. All right. But I would say, but there's no one else who can take you out of his hands. It's only you that can take you you out of his hands. But don't bother doing that. All right. It also says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, somehow when I was 13 and I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, somehow I knew that I was sealed. And I had this revelation. I don't know if I saw the scripture or what happened, but somehow I knew I was sealed and things were locked up and it was ready to go. I was blessed. I was in a good place. Okay, let me keep going. Um, John six forty seven. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Okay, so, um, friends, I think I want to uh, stop here and do a part two of this. I think it will really bless you. And, uh, but I think, again, that this is worth going through, uh, even just by way of preparation, because it is because death is something that, as a family member, you need to be prepared for. If somebody else in the family dies, you need to be prepared for that. But I would encourage you that learning about these things and coming back next week and getting next week's podcast as well is going to be helpful to you. I do recommend you arm yourself with these things and and really fortify your thinking. Because I told you that even earlier in this podcast, I said how once I found out that I got to go to heaven, something shifted in my life. I no longer lived constantly under the fear of death. Well, I don't believe that you need to live under the fear of death. But so, a lot of people have that. But you don't have to have that. So I want to... I want to talk to you some more, and uh, we'll do that uh, in next week's podcast as well, all right? But for now, uh, let me just pray for you, if I could. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for our lives. Father, I thank you for my friend who is listening to me right now. Um, Lord, I ask you to minister to them by your Spirit and help them to see the value of their life. Help them to see that they are important. Help them to understand that you actually sent them to this planet for a reason. You had a plan to to love and to bless others through them. You had a plan that through their life that your glory would come into the earth. You had a plan that that there was some character trait of you, Lord, that 
that they particularly would be the one to carry that particular trait into this earth. Lord, I ask you to minister to them. I, Lord, I ask you to bring peace into their heart and let their hearts really, really dwell in peace. And Lord, if they're not born again, Lord, I pray that they would decide to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives so that forever they would live without the fear of death. My friends, I love you. I bless you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this is a blessing to you. For me, the scripture is always a blessing. And I do appreciate this time with you. I, I encourage you that if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, go ahead and click the subscribe button. Also, if you um, would like to get involved with Joseph Barlow Ministries, please do. Got some big changes happening. And if you want to be on my mailing list, make sure you sign up for that as well. And uh, we love you. And uh, you go over to the josephbarlow.com website. You can see a whole lot of what we have to offer. But uh, we're here for you. And uh, God sent me just to love you, all right, and to bless you, and to speak truth into your life and to help you. So that's what I'm endeavoring to do. And uh, we'll take it from there, okay? Love you, my friend. We'll see you next week, okay? God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Joseph Barlow Ministries podcast. This podcast is made possible by our partners. To partner with us, head on over to josephbarlow.com, where you can donate and help us share God's heart for families with the world. And if you want to learn how to hear the voice of God personally, consider taking our Hearing the Voice of God in journaling class. You'll learn to develop an open connection with God and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you through every step of your life. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.